This is Dr. Laura Gouge, and you are listening to The Practice Sessions, the podcast where we combine practical advice with powerful inspiration to support you in creating the practice of your dreams. All right, Dr. Gurevich, I'm so excited that we're having this conversation this morning. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So I'm curious if you could tell us just a little bit about your current practice, mm-hmm. who you see, how you got started with what you're doing now. Uh, so the reason I got started is because when I was 19, I personally was diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease. I had been really, really sick from the age of 12. I went to five different gastros. It wasn't until the fifth gastro that they finally scoped me. And then shortly after my diagnosis, I went to see a naturopath. And I remember my dad at that point was, he's a psychiatrist and he was going through his midlife crisis and he was discovering alternative medicine, first acupuncture and then uh, everything else alternative. And he put me on all of these supplements and I came in, you know, I was diagnosed age 19 on my birthday. I was hospitalized seven days later and I was in the hospital for seven days until they could kind of get me under control. And two weeks later, I was on 60 milligrams of prednisone at the Nashville office. And I was like 19 years old and I had a pill case, like not the little ones, like the big pill case, like the one that you have when you're like 80 or above. And I walked into his office and he looked at all my supplements and he took two away and he replaced them with four. And it was right about then that I had an emotional breakdown and I started crying. I'm sure the prednisone was part of it. But after that, he basically said, if you do what I tell you to do, you will have your health back in a year. And at this point I hadn't been healthy for the last five years, so I didn't even know what that looked like. But a year later, I was living abroad in Scotland and I was partying every night and I had energy and I had gained 25 pounds, which is good because I was cachexic. And I was like alive and I got on this phone. I was, you know, I would tell people my story and one of the guys there was like, I have a friend who's really sick with Crohn's and can you talk to him and tell him about what you did? And I got on the phone with him and this was a guy who had been on an elemental diet and that was, you know, before Physicians Elemental, basically drinking the equivalent of vomit every meal for three months. And I had this emotional breakdown again, and just randomly my mom calls. And I think the whole time I was in Scotland, I talked to them like twice. But I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get sick again. And they were like, you've never been so healthy. What are you talking about? And so I came back from that trip knowing exactly what I wanted to do. And knowing that I wanted to be a naturopathic physician that specialized in inflammatory bowel disease and GI health. And for the rest of my professional career, that is basically all I've done. Wow. I feel like we don't talk to people very often who choose their specialty before even starting naturopathic oh. school and then stick with it. That's a lot interesting. Of people often come in with a specialty and then it changes over time. Mm. So tell us about your practice now. Um, so right now I am probably 70% GI focused, 40, 50% is inflammatory bowel disease, and the rest is functional GI disorders. Uh, IBS, SIBO, pancreatic insufficiency, GERD, reflux. So it's a lot of my specialization. And then the other 30% is I'll do some primary care only for my IBD patients, mainly because I want control of them not getting antibiotics. And I'll do some endocrinology, which I feel like we just do really well as naturopaths. So that's my practice now. So as a, um, a dual student and for our dual listeners, how, does, um, China, how did Chinese medicine enter into your path? So I knew I was going to do a Chinese medicine because the, the way my dad got on his route to alternative medicine is he became a, a acupuncture certificate. And he had this guy who he met in acupuncture school, Norman Suhu, who after acupuncture school, Norman went back to become a naturopath at U Bridgeport. And Norman was one of my biggest and first mentors. 
And I can remember, you know, people who haven't been on prednisone don't know how insane it makes you. And prednisone's tricky because sometimes being on the drug is worse than the disease. And I remember I was on a super high dose of steroids, 60 milligrams, and I would go through these mood swings and they would be like four minutes each. And it was like a cycle where I would cry, laugh hysterically, uh, get really quiet, and then get really depressed. And then cry and laugh and I went down the cycle and I went in to see Norman and Norman put some needles in me and did zero balancing. And I can remember it was the first time I felt normal for like weeks. You know, that panel had been on, on prednisone for weeks. And right then and there, I knew that that had to be part of it. Mm-hmm. Having acupuncture, and I don't even think I'm a good acupuncturist, but having the ability to make somebody feel better the minute they live, leave the room, that is not an ability that naturopaths have. Naturopathic medicine works and it fixes things, but it's slow and it's tedious and you have to change this and change that and it's not instantaneous. Acupuncture is instantaneous. Mm-hmm. And herbs, the way I was taught herbs, which is different than I think the way the grads are taught now, but like, like it's like the formula is almost the equivalent of a homeopathic. There's this presentation that it's like, oh, that's, that's landmark that formula. And you use it, and it, I had this one patient, she came in to actually see the resident, and she was having all this upper reflux GERD with this crazy plump hit. And I was talking, you know, the resident was presenting the case, and then I was like, that's Bancha Hopotong. You need to give her Bancha Hopotong. Let's not test her, let's not do anything, let's just give her the herb, because she doesn't want to do, be compliant with the diet. Mm-hmm. She took the herb for two days, gone. Wow. All of her symptoms gone. Chinese herbs are like acupuncture that patients can give mm-hmm. to themselves three times a day, if you can get them to take it. Mm-hmm. Wow, thank you for that. So you use acupuncture, mm-hmm. you use Chinese herbs. At our school, we have, uh, at NUNM, um, we have many lineages that are taught. What, do you practice a certain lineage? Uh, so my teaching was in classical Chinese medicine mm-hmm. and the Shan Han Lun School in particular for herbs. Mm-hmm. And then I did the majority of my mentorship with my now business partner, David Berkshire. Mm-hmm. And so I was trained a lot in five element acupuncture and I still pull on that some. But mainly, I'm just using TCM. Awesome. Yeah. And it works. Fabulous. Fabulous. Thank you. So are most of your treatment plans a balance of naturopathic oh. and Chinese medicine? Unless Always somebody both. is referred to me by an acupuncturist, okay. almost every single one of my patients gets needles in, non-negotiably. It does a couple mm-hmm. of things. One, they feel better getting off my table. Uh, two, it gives me time to think to put together a treatment plan. Three, if I need to work two rooms, I have the ability to mm-hmm. work two rooms which from an income perspective is very, very helpful. Mm-hmm. And that is the other thing about acupuncture in particular combined with naturopathic medicine is your income potential is astronomically higher if you have both degrees, astronomically higher. Because every hour of my time, I can bill for the uh, evaluation and management code plus the acupuncture procedure code. Mm-hmm. So every hour of my time, I don't need to see 20 to 30 patients a day, I can see 8 to 12 and make about the same amount of money. I'm curious about that, actually, because I know I've had the conversation with some of my friends who were trying to decide, should I do the dual degree or just become a naturopath? And they would look at that financial point of view of, okay, I could probably make a lot more money as well as practice anywhere I want with the, Mm -hmm. the Chinese medicine. But you're also taking on two more years of debt. And so I'm curious if you feel like it's still 
always uh, worth it. A billion percent. Okay. A billion percent. <laughs> Anybody who comes in uh, in the earlier years to preceptor, I tell them all to do to get a dual. A billion percent. I practiced in New York. I had no naturopathic license there for a year. Mm-hmm. I had my acupuncture license. I could see whoever I want. Literally, the amount of money, you can't compare the amount of money you make as a dual to the amount of money you make as an MD standalone. I mean, it's unless you're an MD standalone who does a lot of procedures, a lot of injections, a lot of crazy high-end uh, IVs, then it's totally not worth it. But if you're somebody who wants to do family medicine or chronic disease practice and you're not getting fancy with your techniques, an acupuncture license is invaluable. And it makes people feel better right away. Beautiful. Yeah, it's Beautiful. amazing. Yeah. And I'm not even a good acupuncturist. I mean, I'm I'm like thoroughly mediocre. (laughs) So you've uh, named a lot of advantages to Mm -hmm. having a dual degree. Um, Have you personally experienced disadvantages of? I can't even think of what a disadvantage would be. No, no. Just have to do a little longer in school. You have to do a little, and you know, the NUNM used to have the five year Mm -hmm. that, and and I don't know if they're going to bring it back, but that one for me was a no brainer. Like. If you can get a dual in five years, God, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the other thing about a dual degree, especially for newer grads, is when you have an acupuncture license, you see people weekly or you see people twice a week, which b- builds up your practice significantly faster than an ND who sees people every three weeks, every four weeks. Now I see people every six weeks. I mean, your, your books just get a lot more full and you build better rapport with patients mm-hmm. and that lets you hit your critical mass of people who love you and tell all their friends about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that does seem like a huge advantage, actually, because I know just uh, practicing as a naturopath, if someone isn't coming in for three or four weeks, there's so much more time for them to struggle with their diet and stop. But if they're coming in once a week, you can have that check-in yeah. of like, how are you eating? Are you doing yeah. Are you doing the things? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is this working out for you? What yeah. do we need to shift? How do we negotiate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Just having that face-to-face time. So I'm curious about your time in New York. What were you doing there? So I had, uh, I moved out there. My whole family's out there. I have a huge community out there. Uh, I moved out there and I was spending 80% of my time in uh, Long Island practicing with my dad. He now is a completely holistic psychiatrist. Uh, And I was spending 20% of my time with a small private practice in Brooklyn and Park Slope. And getting out there was actually, filling up was actually really easy. Uh, interestingly enough, I got a lot of referrals from Portland to, to the Brooklyn office. So I was both me and my husband's an acupuncturist and a shamanic body worker. And both of us filled up our practices, I think within three months, there was nobody at that point in time doing anything near what we were doing. And so that was delightful. However, it was definitely a very different landscape to be there than it is here because you're not a doctor there. I, I entered the service industry. Most everybody was paying cash. And so they were like, I demand my Chinese herbal formula now, or I demand you see me. And it was like, you know, I, I, I didn't have here in Portland, I have a lot of collaboration with a, a group of MDs that I work very closely with because I have a lot of IBD patients and I work with a group of gastros. Uh, none of that existed there. When I was there, I was treating a lot more cancer because nobody was treating cancer back there. And the radiologists would say, you can't have fruits and vegetables because it's got too many antioxidants. So I, it was just a very different practice. And if your ego is really based on the fact that you're a doctor, like mine definitely is, it was very difficult for me to be in practice mm-hmm. there. But the patient was not the issue. Filling up with patients was very easy. It was just how people viewed you. 
Could you share with us the differences between um, working in an integrative clinic with practitioners who have more of a conventional medicine background and working in a clinic like Kuan Yin who, with practitioners who have uh, backgrounds in similar philosophies and um, natural medicine? I don't know if I'm the best person to ask because the New York integrative clinic that I was working in, I mean, my father is significantly more naturopathic mm. than I will ever dream of being. <laughs> like, I think he's a little crazy with how far he takes this naturopathic uh-huh. thing. Um, and so that practice was, you know, in some ways I had a lot more rights and in some ways I had a lot less rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kuan Yin, what makes Kuan Yin so special is we've created this setting because we're so large where People specialize and we have, you know, we have physical therapists and we have nurse practitioners and medical doctors and everybody just has to have a little bit of this integrative mindset. Mm -hmm. And then all of our naturopaths become very specialized because there's so many of us Mm -hmm. that, I mean, in some ways, Kuan Yin was more integrative than the holistic MD Mm -hmm. because you kind of have to be, A, being in Portland, you can't be a cowboy, and (laughs) B, there's just so many, we have so many subspecialties here in, in Kuan Yin, that it really is in some ways more integrated than the New York practice mm-hmm. was. The one thing I'm really curious about that you spoke to was that your your journey of being a naturopath started with your own health struggle. And I think that is such a common story. Like so many of us found naturopathic medicine because it helped us. Um, and so we, we wanted to give back. We wanted to do this. But I'm curious... Do you notice any pitfalls of working with patients who also have condi- like a condition that you have? Have there been issues around that spiritually or just I'm just so curious about it. I, I first of all, I'm really, really happy to hear that the NDs who are coming in still are coming in through their own health journeys, because I thought I was under the impression that had gone away a little bit. That was how it was in my class for sure. But my class was a lot older. Um, You know, I feel like the gift of being really, really sick and having been healed through naturopathic medicine meant I never doubted. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's this luxury that medical doctors have when they have their algorithm and, okay, not this, then this. Okay, not that, then this. Oh, you fell off the algorithm. Sorry, we're done. You know, that we don't have that luxury as naturopaths. But because of my own internal personal experience, I never doubted it. I'm also not delusional to think that the only right way of healing somebody is naturopathic medicine. I think that patients get the best care if you have a really good medical doctor and a really good naturopath and a lot of other people on board to help you on your healing. You know, you have a team and that team talks and respects each other. People are going to get the best medicine. I don't think that medical doctors are bad. I, at this point, I can't practice without them because I need my patients getting imaging when they're flared. I need my patients getting colonoscopies and biopsies when they're flared. Like, I don't want to do that. That's not what I do. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Kuan Yin to a, a natural medicine practitioner kind of sounds like a dream. Yeah, to me like too. A, like future of medicine. What advice might you give students that have that vision? Students who will not stay in Portland, want to, to move back home, move elsewhere, spread the medicine. How do we bring a practice like Kuan Yin throughout the country? I feel like one of the things that makes Kuan Yin successful is the fact that we're in Portland, Oregon, and mm-hmm. we have access to a couple of different really good colleges that, you know, mill out grads, and it kind of gives us, and, you know, David Berkshire 
works in the college. So we kind of get first dibs at really mm-hmm. good providers because he finds them. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure it's very realistic if you're leaving a place, if you are not living in a place with a lot of natural medicine universities. Mm-hmm to open up something like Kuan Yin. Mm -hmm. However, what I do think is possible, which I did see in New York, is you end up networking with all of your alternative medicine allies within the town that you live in. Mm -hmm. And so, like, we, one of the big ways that my husband built in New York was he got to New York and he found a bunch of yoga studios. And so he would start taking yoga classes and talking to the yoga teachers. I treat a lot of pain. I treat a lot of spiritual pain. Uh, yoga teacher would be like, hey, I met this guy. He sits in my class every week. I know him. You should go because he's really good at pain. He treats my pain. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, another, I, you, met, you meet an acupuncturist if you're a naturopath. And you meet a chiropractor. And you meet a holistic dentist. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to really just put your allies in place. Mm-hmm. But allies who have an interest in referring to you. You know, I was talking to um, Joshua Goldenberg, who he's the president of the Gastro AMP. And um, he did all this uh, research where he asked all these successful docs what they did to be successful. Mm -hmm. And he asked, how much referral did you get from gastros in your area? Because he asked only the gastro-specialized providers. Almost all of them got none. That's not where we get our referrals. Mm -hmm. They They don't know where we fit. And frankly, they don't have an interest in learning. But you get all your referrals from a chiropractor, from a massage therapist, from an acupuncturist mm-hmm. who knows that you're specialized and you're friendly and you're not going to steal your pa- their patients and you're not going to talk them down. So what I would do if I was going to a different part of America that didn't have a lot of providers is I would go and I would get to know every single provider that, that's out there. And getting to know them is not you go visit them once. That is not building a relationship. And then, you know, uh, Faria is a resident that just graduated from Kuan Yin and from the Hazes last year. And she had to go back to Vancouver, BC. And so she's marketing or she's attempting to. And she was like, I went to go work at the natural food store and nobody really talked to me, but the staff really loved me because I told them about some products, but then I didn't see anybody. And I was like, you went once. It's not marketing. The staff loved you. That's amazing. You go back and you reconnect with the staff. You go back and you offer to give the staff free education because that staff is talking to a hundred people who walk into the wellness section and they know what they don't know. And so the first thing they're going to think about is, how do I, who am I going to refer you to? Who is a good, safe person that I know personally? Oh, Dr. Faria. You have to go again and again. You have to build these relationships. You have to reschedule. And you, some people are not going to like you. You have to deal with it. Be mm-hmm. an adult. Lots of people are not going to like you. They're not interested in what you do. Mm-hmm. You have to keep on building. And unfortunately, you have to keep on marketing. I still do a ton of marketing Mm-hmm. Because I need to continue to build my practice and build my residence practice and keep the clinic afloat, marketing never goes away. Mm-hmm. And marketing is not you trying to sell them some bullshit. Marketing is, I have this thing that I'm super passionate about that I want to educate you on. Mm-hmm. Because I think that my passion, which is not greedy, it's that there's all these things that I know that I want to teach you. Mm-hmm. And then those people are like, oh my God, I have a snatchpath who's like, she listens to me and... She, you know, she hears my thing. She repeats back my case. And she's teaching me all these things about living like a human, mm-hmm. which is basically what naturopathic medicine is. <laughs> <laughs> I love what you just said about marketing, because I think that's often a place that we feel kind of stopped. Like people get stopped so easily. Like, oh, I did I did one talk in a grocery store and no one came. And so that doesn't work. You know, like it's so easy to mm-hmm. just sort of kind of stop yourself in these places. And so I think that's really good advice of networking with other providers and just keep like you have to keep going. Mm-hmm. And I think that 
what we know is sewn so deeply into our seams that we don't know the value of it. Like, wet socks. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't even occur to me. Like, I was like, my daughter doesn't have wool socks. How did this happen? Like, she's going to get sick in the next year. Like, it doesn't even occur for me to push that education because people are so hungry for what we know. And we know it better than any other specialty. You know, functional medicine is basically naturopathic medicine done poorly. You know what I mean? We, our job is to continue to share what we know that we think everybody knows, but almost nobody <laughs> actually knows. Right. We take for granted what we've learned. And, you know, if I was going to give students advice, like especially students still just starting out, mm-hmm. I would start a list somewhere like a Google Keep list or I don't care where a list somewhere of new things that you get exposed to when you're at school. What's a new thing that you got exposed to that you didn't know about before you started sitting in school? And then when you graduate, or if you have some spare time, write a quick article about it. Because once you graduate, you're going to want these continuous blog posts to just be ready to do. If you just write a list of the new things that you were exposed to from common public person to I'm going to be a doctor, Mm -hmm. that list is your marketing material for the next 10 years. That's an awesome idea. Yeah. I'm going to start my list right now, right after this interview. (laughs) That's awesome. Just keep it, make a Google spreadsheet. So how else do you do marketing? At this point, the main way that I do marketing is by education. I am an atrocious writer. I actually didn't even know how bad of a writer I was until I was having my husband edit my PowerPoints. And he was like, you can't send these out. Like, (laughs) this is how you talk. This is not appropriate writing. Um, so, So I am not a good writer. And so what I do is I'm a really good talker. I love it. I get a high from it. I'm an extrovert. I love to be able to hold a room. Generally, a room is excited by what I say. When they're not, it's a different story. Um, So I do a ton of lecturing. I lecture for the public. I lecture. Now I'm doing mainly lecturing for doctors. Uh, I also got hooked up with uh, Siobhan Sarna, who does the SIBO SOS um, docu-series. And I'll do master classes for her. That allows me to move away from just... uh, face-to-face um, market to a, now I have a worldwide market and I charge a lot more for those consults. And so that's that's the majority of my marketing material right now. I do webinars, I do podcasts. If anybody asks me to do an interview, I always say yes, because it just, it exponentially increases my, um, the people who hear me. Mm-hmm. And I have a plan to hire somebody as a ghostwriter, but I have to get through writing like three or four more huge presentations. <laughs> So let's say someone moves to a new state. They're like, okay, I'm going to get out of Portland. It's super saturated. I'm going to go somewhere else. You move to a new state. It is not saturated. It's not saturated. (laughs) Go on. So you move to a new state. Where do you get started? You want to give talks, Mm -hmm. like, but you you don't know anyone, let's say. Where would you get started? You have to have a web page. Yeah. That's where you start. Please, you have six weeks between graduating boards and getting your results. Just make an effing website. If you don't have a website, you actually don't exist. And this, right. is, a, this is actually a problem. Uh, so A, you make a website. B, I, you know, Tina Moore gave this really, really great podcast webinar about her email list, like building an email list and maintaining your email list. I think if you're a good writer, start by blogging and building your email list. I, when I get there, I would start calling every naturopath that's there every acupuncturist that's there. I would go to every health food store that's there. I would go to chiropractors. I would go to massage therapists. I would go anything that, if Google anything with the word holistic, that's your list of people you want to establish a relationship with. And 
60% of them are going to have no interest or no time. They're overworked. They're busy. Whatever. You are looking for people to help you who also need your help. Which is why sometimes like a BNI group or a marketing group works really, really well. But you need to make sure you the BNI group that you're in, you're going to like. Because that's a, you're working on building that relationship. Everybody in there is working on building those relationships. That's a really warm audience. Right. For anyone listening, BNI is a business networking group. It's something you can just join. And they usually meet weekly and you give little talks about like what you do. And then you can build referrals through that. Um, there's a cost with it, though. Uh, and they're not the only ones. Yeah. Uh, Latip is another one. The Chamber of Commerce. The Chamber of Commerce, we think it's something because, you know, the Chamber of Commerce says it's basically a bunch of people who run businesses who are marketing. Mm -hmm. So joining Rotary Club is another really good one. Any of these places where you go and check in weekly and you build relationships with people who don't know you, that's and who are not your people, that's a very, very positive way to build. And then I really, the health food store, and really... The education of the workers at the health food store, so valuable, so valuable. And that's like, you know, SSL talks about when he was on Orcas Island, he used to every, like the second Tuesday of every month from five to eight, he would set up a little table and it would say, ask the naturopath. And he would just offer it for free and people would go and ask him. And that's how he, in a small town, that's how you built your audience. So that's something that you can absolutely do. But you really, if you don't have patience, your job is to do your marketing equipment. You write your blogs, you do your website, you do your search engine optimization, you don't have to pay for it, you can do it yourself, uh, and you give talks and make connections. And that's how you build. I love that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so simple, but I still just feel like for so many of the students I talk with, it's like this huge, scary thing. Yes. But I think it's just, you just have to get in action. You just have to like kind of hit mm -hmm. the pavement. And I will also say that starting before you, I remember um, Andy Bellinger came in and talked to us. He does a lot of the consulting for naturopaths in their business. Mm -hmm. He came in and he talked to us and he was telling us about this client that he had who two years before she graduated, she started building her email list. Like every week she would send out an email about something she learned. And when she graduated, she was full because she had spent those two years building that those relationships mm -hmm. without ever leaving her house. And I was like, who the F does that? And now 10 years out, I'm like, oh my God, that would have been genius. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I worked for a doctor for a little while and um, I knew he was starting a clinic in Portland when he graduated and he joined a BNI group before he even had his clinic up and running. And the day they opened their clinic, I think he said he had like five new patients. Like he, he had a schedule going and you know, it was the first day the clinic had opened and it was because he was doing BNI for weeks before then. And yeah, I think that's great advice. Like, you don't yeah. have to wait until you don't have the wait. shop set up. Don't wait. Yeah. And, you know, you can't monetize your list and you can't monetize your emails until you actually have a license and can actually practice. Right. Mm -hmm. But there, you're not going to be able to monetize it right away either way because it takes a while to bring your build your patient base. And so if you are doing your building before you graduate, good Lord, that makes it a lot easier to be successful. Absolutely. So I'm curious how you balance just working and you're, you're a mom of two and you're married and yeah, you have a lot going on. Like, how do you stay healthy and sane? Great question. I was kind of thinking the same thing. Um, I have, uh, so I see patients uh, three and a half days a week. Uh, I have a paperwork day, which I think I cannot say enough about having a paperwork day. You kind of have to build that into your practice because 
the reality is, as a doctor, part of what we do is we push papers. You know, I take this paper and I move it from this pile and I put it to this pile and that pile to this pile. And, right. Uh, and you can't, and the, so that's one of our realities. The other reality about our work is literally we are in meetings all day long. Like, that is what we do. We sit in one meeting with one patient to go to the next meeting with the next patient to go to the next meeting with the next patient. And so if you don't have a day built in, you're going to be out. I also personally bike commute. I think that nobody's allowed to touch me during my bike commute. I don't have a cell phone in. It's just me and my brain. And I, the amazing thing about a bike commute is I will be on my bike thinking about nothing, just tired. And all of a sudden, the stream of thought will come into my, my brain. And I'm like, I have to do that for that patient. And, or my, my website, which I, t- I talked to everybody about making a website. It's, I just made my website. I literally just got it up and live. <laughs> congratulations. Uh, yeah, it kind of was a congratulations. Um, but I, uh, I was on my bike. And all of a sudden, the website domain name just popped into my head. I wasn't thinking about anything. There's all this research that you get a lot of your creative inspiration when you're not doing what you're thinking about doing. Like, doing what you're thinking about doing, you get stuck. But when you're doing something else, all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's what I'm missing. That's (laughs) divine inspiration. Mm -hmm. And so that's really helpful. I'm also super lucky that my husband is really supportive and really helpful and we're both in the same industry. Mm-hmm. And so there's no struggle with how you raise kids or how they eat or vaccines or, you know. So I'm also very lucky about that. Yeah, absolutely. I love the bike commute too because I think mm-hmm. you, you're you getting your exercise. Yes. And, and that's the only time I have time for it. Right. And just that non-negotiable quiet time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I agree. So I think that would be the, the, the bottom line for anyone listening is um, find your non-negotiable quiet time that's just you. That um, nobody's allowed to touch. That yeah. you're not allowed to give away. And you're not on your phone. Phone time is not quiet time. It's yeah. the exact opposite. Totally. That is totally true. <laughs> yeah. So could you tell us a bit about the dual residencies that you offer over at Kuan Yin? Uh, at the moment, we offer two. Uh, that is That goes in flux sometimes. Uh, both me and the Hayes's, uh, Whitney, Dr. Whitney and Stephanie Hayes, um, take only dual degree residencies mm-hmm. for our residents. For the Hayes's, they also need to be trained in Maya abdominal massage because mm-hmm. they are mainly women's medicine. Stephanie Hayes is mainly women's medicine uh, and fertility. And Whitney Hayes is mainly SIBO and IBS, but also a GI practice. Mm-hmm. When I moved to New York, Whitney Hayes took over my practice. Mm-hmm. And so she got shoved into GI and she's liked it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so we, the only thing that we require, I require two things for my residencies. One that you have an acupuncture license. I, and I don't supervise or control your acupuncture. Mm-hmm. I feel like coming out of any institution, you are working with teachers that you like and you emanate and you learn a bunch more than I learn. And so you have complete freedom with your acupuncture protocols. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I might like, like Emily Furtek, who's with me now, never learned any five element. And I was like, you need to know the blocks of treatment. Like they're amazing. Mm-hmm. So that woman who came in with like acute emotional trauma, you should have done the blocks with her. And then by, you know, visit three or four, it should be a little bit lighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but generally they're completely on their own. And then the other requirement that I have is you just have to have a personality that I'd be okay hanging out with. Because I we require <laughs> two-year residencies at, the, at this point. Mm-hmm. And um, we give you a really significant pay bump and a percent of your net starting the second year. Um, and so... I just, it, we're going to spend a lot of time together mm-hmm. in my residencies. So the way my residency works is the first term, you're 100% with me, and you have some patients trickling in uh, that are yours. By the end of the third month, you're pretty much 70% full, mm-hmm. and those are all your patients. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, those patients, the goal is they're going to stay with you. Sometimes you get, you either get people who are really, really complicated, and sometimes those are going to come back to me, mm-hmm. or people who just heard about me and don't need my specialties, and those will generally stay with you. Mm-hmm. And so when you graduate the residency, you have a full practice. Mm-hmm. So you never take a loss. Um, and I carry the loss on you building because I'm going to carry the profit on you full. Mm-hmm. Um but so uh, you're with patients, you're uh, supervising me, you do external supervision, super, uh, you do external what are they rotations, mm-hmm. and uh, we meet every week for an hour to an hour and a half where we do clinical case review, where we go over all of the cases. If you don't have any cases or if you feel really good, then I lecture at you for an hour. I have a list. I put together a curriculum, thanks to Krisha Olson, my old resident. Uh, she was like, because your practice is so specialized, the, these are the things that I touched upon, but I never got really rooted in. Mm-hmm. And so I'll lecture about those things as well on the times that you are, that we're meeting that you don't have a lot of cases to do. Mm-hmm. And so that's how all of the cases work. You're also required in my residency to do a lot of paperwork for me, mm-hmm. plus your own paperwork, which is just burly. But that's what I get out of the residency. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's like medical yeah. necessity letters and... Um, coordination of care and sending out chart notes to anybody who referred a patient to me. Mm-hmm. So that's the part of my residency that we do. It, found, it sounds like a pretty full scope residency. So it definitely is um, because you all, the other thing that you get is you get cold calls from the clinic mm-hmm. and you get referrals from other clinicians within Kuan Yin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, it, you, they get uh, a lot of endocrinology, a fair amount of women's health, they don't, I don't see peds, mm-hmm. so sometimes you'll get some peds, but it's very peed light. But everything else, yeah. And it's just, I mean, it's really, if you don't have your own health experience, mm-hmm. it's incredible to step out of school and not have to flounder because you get shoved in this pipeline of, I know my medicine works, I've got a thousand protocols mm-hmm. and I know how they work, and you're going to learn my protocols, and then you don't have to think for yourself. And then, you know, as you grow into the residency, you get to think for yourself and you get mm-hmm. to make more of your decisions. But there's no time for you to be like, you know, my when I graduated, the mean age was 30. And that means that the majority of people in there, ha- this was their second career. Mm-hmm. So they had their own health crisis. They went back to school. And so what that means is a lot of them went back to their first career, mm-hmm. which doesn't, in the long run, probably won't pay as well as a naturopath. Plus, they're still sitting on all those debts. Mm-hmm. If you do a residency, the likelihood of that happening is very low. And if you do my residency in particular, you step out with a full patient load. If you want to stay at Kuan Yin, great. We've been able to house all of our residents since. If you don't want to stay at Kuan Yin, great. Go to someplace else, take your patients with you. You've earned that patient load. You've built rapport with them. Those are yours. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily true with all the residencies, but that's definitely true with all the Kuan Yin residencies. And so it's it's the easiest transition. You just have to give up two years Mm -hmm. longer. I just found out the other day that neuro um, certain neurosurgeons mm-hmm. do seven years of residency plus two years of fellowship. I wow. didn't know that. That's like... Seven years of residency. It's like 15 years of education. With all fairness, <laughs> if you're a neurosurgeon and you're in my brain, I guess yes. that's what I want. <laughs> but I was like, seven years of residency? So that's, oh. that's the way my residency works. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of time in your education, but I think it's 100% worth it. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely think. And, you know, the other thing you get is you uh, you get my spiels, you know. Mm-hmm. I've been doing this a long time. I have, like, spiels that I tell patients. Um, you get all my protocols. You get all my handouts. 
Uh, but you also get the security of knowing somebody's been doing this for over a decade. Mm-hmm. And obviously it's working, which is something that new grads don't have because you guys don't get fixed with docs anymore. Right. Like I, I was fixed a lot with uh, Judy Peabody. And so I her, I still use her protocols, but there was something so like, it was like a security blanket to be like, Peabody's been doing it for 45 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's nice. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So one of our last questions, what advice would you have for someone who's just graduating? Maybe they don't know what they want to specialize in. They don't know what they want to do. Where would you get started building a practice if you're like, I just don't know who my people are yet? Yeah. I, I mean, part, I feel like part, if you don't know where, what you're going to specialize in, uh, the universe will tell you, I think <laughs> within a couple of years, you'll start seeing a lot of people with the same conditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I would say, however, is choose whatever you feel like you know the most about and start marketing to that person. Uh, there's this, the, the Heart of Marketing, which was put together by Mark Silver, who now is in Colorado, uh, the Heart of Business, that's, that's what he calls it. He has this theory, it's called the three phases of marketing. Phase one, you send out all of these contacts. Phase two, your contact reaches the exact right person at the exact right point in time and they come and utilize your services. Mm -hmm. Phase three, they tell somebody else about your services and that person starts them on phase one or two. And so choose something that you know a lot about, that you feel the most comfortable with in the broad scope, uh, scope. Choose something that you feel the most comfortable about and start using that as your niche to marketing. And then when things change, listen to the signs of the universe and go with the change. I love that. I think that's so true. I mean, I think it's so common that we start out on one path and then the universe chooses a different one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which us. is just fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, exactly. Like we'll know when that happens. Yep. Mm-hmm. Takes a lot of pressure off of us. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So a couple of rapid fire questions we like to ask everybody. What is your favorite book? Oh God. Maybe the <laughs> alchemist by Pablo Coelho. <laughs> yeah. I love that book. Yeah. Yeah. I know I was changing. Yeah. Do you have a favorite app? Uh, I tell all my patients about Headspace. Yeah. And I tell all my patients about who has insomnia and wake up in the middle of the night. Uh, If they are, if they can't fall asleep and it's been more than two minutes, they put in the Headspace app and they start Mm -hmm. doing that meditation for 20 minutes. And that oftentimes can put people back to sleep if it's their head that's going. So that's what I use a lot of now. Yeah. Um, I love headspace for anyone who yeah. like doesn't know how to meditate. Yeah. It's the best. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then favorite modality. If you had to just choose one. Besides acupuncture. It could be acupuncture. <laughs> acupuncture. Yeah. As a naturopath, acupuncture. <laughs> you know what else is really fun is uh, perineural injection therapy, PIT, mm, which yes. is for myofascial pain, mm-hmm. which is like stupid easy and stupid cheap with virtually no risks. Mm-hmm. I love Pit. It's like one of my favorites. If I can't get them better with acupuncture, I'm like, okay, I'm going to leave 15 minutes just in case I need to pit you mm-hmm. so that we can release some of this myofascial stuff. Amazing. Yeah. Dr. Gervich, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us this today. So this thank you so, so much. Fun. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Practice Sessions. If you enjoyed the interview, please make sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. For show notes and more information, visit our website at www.thepracticesessionspodcast.com.